Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
So 
this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen this is a house of worship this is a place of praise Where every demon trembles Where we proclaim your name This is a house of healing Our hearts are full of This is a house. 
Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you that we can be in this place today. We have faith. We do believe that you're working all things for good. God, we just invite your Holy Spirit here. Uh, we want to be a church that sings out and praises you. We want to be a church that just embraces your presence. And we're so thankful uh, for this body of believers that we can join with uh, every first day of the week and come here and encourage one another and lift up your name. Uh, in a scriptural way. We're just so uh, grateful for this time. Help us make the most of this opportunity. Uh, everything we do over the next few minutes, God, I pray that we would give it to you. And uh, we just love you, Lord. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We thank you uh, and we praise you in our hearts. And in his name we pray, amen. It is great to have the opportunity to share with you uh, this morning. And I'm grateful for two things this morning. I'm grateful that we have a few minutes here that we can open God's word to know him better. The second thing I'm grateful for is that I'm grateful that it's Stuart that stands in this place every Sunday morning. Uh, you know, Gina and I are part of a life group that meets at 8.30 on Sunday mornings, and I told them last week that I would not be able to be with them this week because this morning between 8.30 and 9.30, I might be in the bathroom clearing out uh, my breakfast. Uh, and so I hope that over the next few minutes, either my nerves or my breakfast doesn't show up here on the stage. 
uh, I don't preach a lot, and I don't normally, to be serious, I don't normally get too nervous about it until Stuart asked me to preach uh, during this series before we ever knew what the questions were that were going to be asked. And like he said last week, uh, when he asked me to do that, I got a little nervous. Uh, but as he also shared last week, as those questions came in, and we begin to, to look through those questions and think, how many of these and which one of these will we be able to address in a five-week series? What we discovered was that many of the questions that were asked really did fall under kind of an umbrella of five or six major themes. And so as we did that, I'm, very, I'm really glad that Stuart began this series last week focusing on heaven. Because I believe heaven lays out the backdrop for us in this entire series. Because heaven is God's ultimate goal and plan for you and me. Because he wants every one of us to be with him in eternity. And so as Stuart shared last week, at the end of his message, I believe, that God is patient, that God is kind, he's merciful, and he's a God of grace because he wants all of us to reach his ultimate goal for us. But that leads us to the question we're going to look at today, <clears throat> and it is this. How do we reconcile God's judgment with God's grace? I'm going to have to get a drink. I'm very sorry. How do we reconcile God's judgment with God's grace? Here are some of the questions that we received. <clears throat> if God is a loving God, then why did he command the Israelites to wipe out entire nations? And why does the God of the Old Testament seem so angry and he punishes and he destroys? But the God of the New Testament seems to be so loving, forgiving, kind, and merciful. Here's a great question was asked. Or why does the church attempt to combine the Old Testament law with New Testament grace and tell us this is how we should live? And so I need to make sure we're very clear before we actually dig into this big question of how we balance the tension between God's grace and his judgment. And I want to make it clear by sharing with you a statement that I heard many times my dad say to me. Matter of fact, Dave and I heard him say it, my brother Dave and I heard him say it over and over again. Uh, one time when we tried to drive a 1966 Chevy Impala down an old country road that had been closed for years in the middle of a blizzard of 1977. And after uh, a failed attempt of pulling that car off of a six-foot snowdrift, uh, with a, 
a, a farm tractor and then calling a tow truck that failed to be able to pull that car off of that six-foot snowdrift and having my dad being forced to call a tow truck that usually pulls semis to finally succeed getting that car off of that old road that had been closed for years, Dave and I heard my dad make this statement over and over and over again when he said, boys, what in the world were you thinking? And so I tell you that story, and some of you have heard that story before, but I tell you that to tell you this, that if you wrote one of these questions that we're going to address, we might not go as deep as you expected us to go because I've never been accused of being a deep thinker. And so as I begin to think through this question of how we balance between God's grace and judgment, uh, and we've already established me thinking through that probably is a dangerous thing, uh, I quickly became overwhelmed of what to share because as you read, I believe, every story and every event in the Bible from cover to cover, from front to end, that every one of those stories and events are there to help us understand and help us know God better, to help us know how much he loves us and yet how holy, how righteous and how just he is. I agree with what Stuart said last week when he said as we entered into this series of addressing some, very, uh, some great questions that if we believe that we can fully understand some of the questions we have about things like what is heaven really going to be like and we're probably fooling ourselves because we can only see a small fragment or a tiny speck of what God sees. And so as we continue through this series, I believe we need to remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in verse 12. For he says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so as I began to dig into this question, I came across several passages of scripture that I want to pull out and highlight for us today that we might be able to understand maybe a little better of how God can, uh, that we can balance this tension of God's grace and his judgment. And the main passage that I want us to look at this morning to highlight is actually found in the beginning of the Bible. It's found back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15. And I believe it's important that as we think about this big question of, of this tension between God's grace and his mercy, uh, or his grace and his judgment, that we need to, to, to look at this passage of Scripture. It's within the story of Abraham when God is laying out his covenant and his promises to Abraham. And in uh, Genesis chapter 15, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to verses 12 through 16, if you have your, your Bible on a device or a printed uh, here this morning, 
or, or online, if you'll just turn to, to Genesis 15, verses 12 through 16, we're going to look at five verses. This is what it says. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be slaves, and that they will be mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will finally come back, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, as I read those five verses, and you're thinking about this big question of how we balance God's grace and his judgment, you're probably thinking maybe what my dad did many times. Doug, what in the world are you thinking? But I believe if we will dig into these five verses, it will help us see four characteristics of God that help us hopefully more clearly understand God's judgment and God as a God of mercy and grace. When we read the Old Testament, we often see God as a God only of judgment, of wrath and punishment. And when we read this passage, that is what jumps off the page at us. But if we'll dig just a little bit deeper into this passage, we will see that God is more than a God of judgment. For he's also a God who is merciful. We often read verses 13 and 16 of this passage, and we wonder why God would let his people be enslaved and mistreated for so long. In verse 13 we read, For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country that's not their own. They'll be enslaved and they're going to be mistreated there. And then in verse 16, it goes on to say, In the fourth generation, then your descendants will come back here. And so we read this and think, why does God let his people wait and even suffer for so long? But what we often fail to read or we fail to fully grasp is the very last phrase of this passage when it says, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. I like the way the New Living Translation helps us better understand the significance of this phrase. Because it reads, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. In this passage, God's grace and his mercy is on full display because he is patiently waiting he is giving every opportunity for the Amorite people, for the Amorite nation who has turned away from him and who has become evil. He is giving them every opportunity possible to repent 
in return. And so we see God's mercy and grace even in this very passage on full display. Over in the New Testament, we read in Matthew 18, 14, when Jesus is telling a parable about lost sheep and what the shepherd will go to, the extent that he will go, it says, Jesus says, in the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That God is patient. That God is a God of love, of mercy, and grace. And we see that throughout the New Testament. But we also see it in the Old Testament. Why does God hold off rescuing his own people for 400 years? Why does he send so many plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians? It's because he's giving every chance possible for a people who has turned away and who has turned evil to repent and return to him. It shows up in story after story in the Old Testament. It shows up in stories like Jonah and the people in Nineveh, like Sodom and Gomorrah, in stories like Noah and the flood and throughout the book of Judges. It shows up that God is a God of mercy. And we also need to know that he is a God that knows all. In Genesis 15, this passage is located right in the middle of the story of Abraham where God is laying out his covenant and his promises to Abraham. And Abraham, can't, he can't fathom. He can't see. He can't understand because he sees a fragment. And I'm sure at this moment, Abraham is, is wondering with a question, how am I even going to have a son at my age? And how am I going to become a great nation? But in verse 13, it begins with this phrase. Verse 13 says, The Lord is saying to Abraham, Know for certain. Why does God... Why does he make that statement, that phrase, to Abraham? It's because he already knew that the Amorite people were not going to turn from their wicked ways. He already knew that the Amorite people were going down a path that they would not return from. But he was going to give them every chance possible. And so that's why he says... In verse 16, their sins do not yet warrant their destruction. God knows. He knows all. He knows everything. David says it in Psalm 139 when he says this, You, O Lord, have examined my heart and know everything about me. David committed some pretty awful sins in his life. But David is also known as a man after God's own heart. God knows everything. He sees the whole picture. Over in the New Testament, John writes this in 1 John 3.20. If our hearts condemn us, 
We know that God is greater than our hearts and that he knows everything. Have you ever had to say the words, I'm sorry? And they came from your mouth, but not your heart. But let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to apologize for something that you are truly sorry for? For something that is breaking your heart? And as you try to apologize, it seems like your apology goes sideways and it ends up worse than it was before? Well, we can know that God knows everything. He knows our hearts and our motivations. And so how do we balance this tension? First of all, we need to know that God is merciful and God knows all. And now we can jump back into what jumps off of the page at us in Genesis 15. Verse 14 says, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, which refers to the time when the sins of the Amorite people reaches the point that they must be destroyed. And so in this we see, as we do throughout the Old Testament, that God acts justly. But we also need to be reminded as we think about this, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament is that we need to be reminded that God acts justly in the New Testament as well. Do you remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Where they sold the land and they took the money and they took it to Peter but they held some back for themselves and they lied to Peter about how much they really got for the, the property. And Peter makes a statement in Acts chapter 5. He says, you are not just lying to man, you are lying to God. And in Acts 5, it says they both dropped dead. 1 Peter 2.16 says, we as followers of Christ, we, as those who are going toward God, must live and can live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And in Romans 2, we are warned about God's judgment in the New Testament. We are warned that if we go our own way and sin against God's desire, the Message Bible says it this way. In Romans 2, 38, when it says, don't you think, did you, that just pointing a finger at others, you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that just because he's a nice God, He'd let you off the hook. Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes our hand firmly and he leads us into radical life change. You're not getting by with anything. Every refusal and avoidance of God adds fuel to the fire. The day is coming when it's going to blaze hot 
and high. And God's fiery and righteous judgment. Make no mistake. In the end, you get what's coming to you. Real life for those who work on God's side. But for those who insist on getting their own way and take the path of least resistance, fire. God is merciful. God knows all. And God acts justly. And finally, one last thought from this passage in Genesis 15. It begins with the phrase in verse 12, as the sun was setting. As I was studying this passage, one commentary brought my attention to the significance of this opening phrase. And the writer went on to begin uh, to, to explain and something that I have discovered as well, that as you read through the Bible from beginning to end, one of the things you begin to understand is about God's love for us. That he, that he loves us and will go to any extent to help us reach his goal for us. But we also understand that God will allow us in this world to have trouble, to go through trials and even valleys. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the God who knows all, knows that we are living in a broken world and knows that we will have trouble. But he also knows that if we trust in, that if we lean on and we follow him, then we will have a deeper appreciation and understanding for how great, for how wide, and for how extensive his love, his mercy, and his grace is in pursuit of us. You see, the Israelites lived in bondage for 400 years, and they waited for four generations, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years to enter the promised land. But in the midst of all that, God is merciful. He knows all. He acts justly, and his timing And so as I have tried to understand and answer this question, how do we balance the tension between God's mercy and grace and God's judgment? It has led me to try to answer a question in my life. And it is this. Am I moving toward God or away from him. Because I understand he's a God of mercy. And he knows all. He acts justly. And his timing is perfect. Not in my timeline. But in his.
Would you pray with me? Father and God, we come uh, right now, and, and God, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had today uh, to come and to worship, to sing praises to you. God, I thank you for the moment that we've had, that we've been able to take a little piece of bread and a small cup of juice and be reminded of how much you love us, that you would go to any end of even sacrificing your own son so that we could reach your ultimate goal for us. And God, we are so grateful for the time we can open your word to hopefully know you better. And we confess, we often struggle with questions and tensions and how we balance your love and your mercy and grace in our lives. The fact that you are so holy and righteous and just. God, as we realize, we begin to understand that you are a God of mercy. That in our lives, sometimes we can only see a speck. We can only understand a fragment of what you know because you know all. And God, as we understand that you act justly in all circumstances, in all times, God, as we come to realize when we question why and when and why now that your timing is perfect in your plan. So God, I would ask that your spirit would be here and your spirit would fill us. That as we, as we grapple with this tension, that it would drive us to simply strive to answer the question in our lives each and every day. Each and every action and every attitude and every word and every choice and every decision that we would strive to be moving toward you. And that as we do this, it would lead others closer to your son, Jesus. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. And we're going to sing one last song, and this is a great time for us to maybe take this question of how do we balance God's mercy and his judgment? And we simply strive to answer the question right now, this week, in every, in every word, in every action, in every attitude, in every choice, in every decision, in every relationship. Am I moving toward God or away from Him? It's my prayer that the Spirit would convict me, that He would convict us if we even at least take a step away, that I would be humble enough to surrender and turn.
you're here this morning and you've never turned your life over to Jesus, you've never surrendered your will, you've never said, I want Jesus, I want to accept his gift of grace, his death on the cross, and I want to make him the Savior, and I want to draw a line in the sand and through being baptized with him, say from this day forward, I'm no longer going to go my way. I'm going to go his way. If you've never made that decision, there's no better day than today. As we sing, you can simply come down and I'll be here. We have people that will talk to you, pray with you, to help you take that step toward Jesus. Perhaps you're here, you're part of First Christian, but you've never really said, officially, I want to make First Christian my home, my family. You can come. I'll be here. We'll help you take that step. But perhaps we need, to, we need to take this time and say, God, what's the step I need to take towards you today? The cross has the final word. The cross has the final word. Sorrow may come in the darkest night, but the cross has the final word. The cross has the final Nothing strong 